What is up, everybody? This is, and welcome to our first episode of the You You Press Play podcast, uh, affiliated with the FAU University Press. My name is Joseph Acosta. I'm the business manager. You can also call me JP or like PJ or whatever, but just don't call me like Patrick. Um, and I'm here with the sports editor and photo editor of the University Press, Richard Pereira and Eston Parker. How are you guys feeling today? You're feeling great. Feeling fantastic. Well, since this is our first episode, The Maiden Voyage, um, we're going to go ahead and talk about what we do here. Um, this is basically going to be our sports podcast affiliated with the University Press. We'll go over everything that goes on in the world of FAU sports this week. And maybe sometimes we'll have maybe a coach on. Maybe have a few players on. We'll talk like that. We'll mix it up. We'll have mailbags. You can ask us questions. But, you know, this is kind of an open book. This is the first chapter. So anything can happen after here. This could end up, like, straight tanking. But you know what? We did it. So... <laughs> I, I've already been in a podcast that's done that before, so... Hey, at least we got experience, you know? We have experience. <laughs> we have experience bombing. Shout so. out to him, I'm only a rookie in these podcasts, but let's see how everything goes. Hey, we'll see how it goes. That's the best part. But we're going to start with FAU men's basketball. Currently, right now, they're 8-7, and 3-3 three and three in the conference, and are coming off of a... Let's see, they're coming off a loss against Charlotte 71 74 at Abyssinio Court. That comes after they beat Charlotte at Abyssinio Court in overtime. In overtime, big, big comeback game, too. Like, real, a really good win. Yeah, that was a big game coming from Michael Forrest. So, at this point in the season, we're 15 games in. A lot of games have been postponed due to COVID 19. That's to be expected at the point where we're at. But Richard, what have you gauged so far from the FAU men's basketball team this season? What are your overall thoughts? My overall thoughts is that they just have to be more consistent in shooting the ball well. It's more or less like they cannot rely on Jalen Ingram every game, as we saw in the doubleheader against Charlotte. Jalen Ingram was struggling for most, for most of both games, only having like a few points for both of them. And... While they did come through with Michael Forrest in the first game against Charlotte in the overtime win, uh, that, that luck did not come in the same way in the second game as they lost that one. It's more or less trying to find a certain consistency that can get them together to have a better record than they did in previous years. Aston, what, what have you thought so far about the Owl season? I mean, Richard pretty much nailed the point of that I was going to make when it comes to consistency. Um, one thing I was really looking to see this season compared to last year was not only are the new players going to make a difference, but are they going to continue to rely primarily on Jalen Ingram or is someone else going to make that next step and be a, a primary player? Um, and you're seeing moments from players like Michael Forrest or Greenlee. I, Brian Greenlee, right? Brian Greenlee. Yeah, thank you. So and on occasion, Carlos Sillins. Mm -hmm. So um, they, again, like Richard said, there have been moments where they'll wow you. Um, I'm thinking of um, Forrest's overtime, his entire second half performance against uh, not Charlotte, right? Yeah. Yeah, against Charlotte in, the, in that first game in the double series. They, I mean, he was the best player on the court, but then there's other moments where, you know, 
it's it's like he's not even there. So, but I, so far, I'd, I'd say they, they've met any expectations I've had coming into the season. So, you know, one thing that I've noticed so far this season is they are hot and cold from shooting. I mean, right now, throughout this season, they're about thir- shooting about 38% from three, 47% from the field. But if you look at the last two games against Charlotte, they went five of 20 and six of 21. Once we get deeper in the conference play, that's going to have to change. They're going to have to become more consistent from three. And like you guys said, you're going to need other guys to step up. Jalen Ingram's going to give you that consistent performance. But now who's going to step up after that? It's going to be Michael Forrest. It's going to be Carlos Schillens. We need Brian Greenlee. Somebody has to be that second guy. Every Batman needed a Robin. Like Batman needed a Robin. Jalen Ingram needs his Robin for this team. And, you know, I think a lot of it has been due to COVID-19 canceling and postponing a lot of our games. But I, I feel like this team hasn't had a lot of time to kind of gel together. You know, we've only played 15 games. So they're still going to need that time to actually be out on the floor. And that's nothing like you can't blame them for not playing those games. Like there's nothing to say like, oh, they should have played. They shouldn't have played. But they do need that time together on the court. That's when the most camaraderie, that's when you get a lot more momentum throughout the season. But swinging over to the women's, women's basketball team, right now they're three and seven and coming off of a loss against FIU. And actually their last four games have been postponed due to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. They have been versus Marshall at home and then at Charlotte. So what have you guys thought so far throughout the first 10 games of FAU's women's basketball season? There's too much reliance on Iggy Allen. Iggy Allen is by far the best player on the team. She'll give you 20 and 10 double-double performances, game in and game out. But what they're missing right now is a second option that can help Iggy Allen take the scoring load off of her. It's as long as they can find a way to not take bad shots, not turn the ball over, and not rely too much on their star player, they can find ways to improve their record to the point where they can qualify for the conference tournament. But right now, they just need to get it together. And going off of what you said, Richard, when it comes to Guy Allen, that I haven't honestly watched as many games as y'all have, um, but the, the two games I did see against FIU, um, at one point I remember Iggy Allen was hurt. And when she was off the court, it, it was it was like everyone was looking for each other of, all right, who's going to step up? Who's going to not only be like the, the main the main player, but also like who's going to be, who's going to step up as a, as a leader for the team? Because um, you can tell they the, the team gets a lot of energy from Iggy Allen, not only by her uh, performances, but just her demeanor on the court is she walks on, she she walks the walk and she talks the talk. Um, And when she's not on there, there's no, there, there's not an edge to that team. So that pretty much again, just going off of what you said, Richard. So, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I kind of see the same, some similarities between the men's and women's basketball team. You know, they both are reliant on that one star, you know, you have Iggy Allen who, Right now, it's averaging 20 points a game. Next highest score is barely averaging 10. So somebody's going to have to step up outside of Iggy Allen. But 
a lot of, there are a lot of similarities between the men's and women's basketball team because they both rely on the three-point shot. They both rely on stopping the three-point shot. The women's basketball team so far has shot about 28% from three this season compared to 31 for their opponents. So they're not, so they're getting outshot from deep. It looks like they're out shooting people from the field, but they're not getting enough stops at the three-point line. They're being out-rebounded. So something is going to have to change within this time they had off. You know, I think a lot of it, again, has been due to COVID-19. And we can say this for every team throughout college basketball. COVID-19 has wrecked a lot of game plans, a lot of game time for every college basketball team. So we're not really like saying like, oh, they should have been better because you have to add the caveat that some of these players haven't played with each other enough to actually kind of get that momentum and kind of get the ability to play together well. And we see that a lot with FAU women's basketball team where they've only played 10 games. FAU men's basketball team has only played 15 games. So they're going to need a lot more time to gel together. And like I said, this is something that's affecting college basketball as a whole. I mean, I think they're just now deciding that they're going to do the March Madness tournament, but it's going to be in the bubble. A lot of teams have had players get sick. They've had to cancel games, postpone games. It all just feels very mishmashed together. Like we're just kind of going as we see it. And with this, that's the best thing that you can do because you never know, like, there could be one outbreak on the team and that ruins a whole conference schedule. So, you know, it's really kind of, it's sad to see, you know, where one, one outbreak just like ruins the whole schedule for a conference, but that's the point where we're at now. And the only thing we can hope is people continue to wear their masks, continue to stay safe. So if they do want to see basketball again, if they do want to see teams playing March Madness, we have to do the right things away from the court as well. See, Eston, Eston's got his mask. Wear your mask, peoples. See, mm-hmm. protect your Al family. Wear your mask out here. But moving on from the men's and women's basketball teams, Richard actually wrote a story a few, day, a few days back or today about the men's and women's soccer teams starting up their season. So Richard, could you give us a little outlook on how the men's and women's soccer teams are looking this year, what your outlook is for them? For men's soccer, all I'm asking for is better offense and defense. I wrote, I've written my season previews on them, and they are a solid home team. I was able to keep track of them during 2019, and they didn't, they didn't do, they didn't do, do too bad at home. They were, they were pretty solid. The problem was on the road. They had, it, it was pretty clear that it was a lot of anxiety involved. And they were a win, four losses, and a tie on the road in 2019, while they were six and three at home. If they can get rid of their road anxiety and become more composed as a team on offense and defense against teams that is not at Boca, they can they can find the improvements that are needed for them to become a better team in, in Conference USA, hope probably become a top three. And that they'll need, uh, they'll need to find a starting goalkeeper because their previous starting goalkeeper graduated. So they have four options. One's a junior, two are sophomores, and the last one being a freshman. Whoever gets to be that for them, 
uh, will be up to the head coach, who is Joey Worthen. And it's very important that having a good defense is crucial for them to win more games than they've ever done in the past couple of years. Yeah, so we're definitely excited for FAU Alps uh, soccer, both men's and women's. We're definitely going to be out there covering the games. We're going to keep you guys updated. So if you ever need any sports, any soccer from FAU University Press, come to us first. That's not as a shameless plug. Totally shameless. But moving on to FAU football, there have been a lot of interesting things happening within the FAU football program. First, we'll start off with Jim Levitt leaving the program. Kind of knew that this was going to happen, especially after the FAU defense turned in one of the best defensive seasons in program history, finishing top 10 in the nation. Not regardless of conference, you would say in the nation. But, you know, Jim Levitt leaves and in steps in Mark Stoops or Mike Stoops. Excuse me. There's so many, there so many Stoops. Is, is, you got Bob, Mark, Mike. Name one of them like Zach or something. Or like Terry. You got to get some Mark or Mike. You got you to gotta change one of them up. But Mike Stoops is heading to FAU as defensive coordinator. And, you know, a lot of what Mike Stoops did, and I kind of outlined this, a little bit is he runs a lot of what new chargers head coach Brandon Staley runs in rain in Los Angeles as defensive coordinator. Gonna be a lot of tight fronts. They're basically daring you to run the ball. And that's perfect considering where college football is going. He comes from the big 12. They know how to throw the ball and they know how to throw it a lot. Conference USA is moving towards throwing the ball and throwing it a lot. So I think he's going to have, the perfect opportunity to implement that kind of defense and make a difference in Conference USA, especially considering the guys that are coming back to the FAU program, considering you're getting back Zion Gilbert, you're getting back Jalen Joyner, Achilles Leroy might be on his way back. Plus the influx of all the freshman talent is going to be coming in. FAU is going to have a really good shot to contend for another Conference USA title this upcoming year, but it all depends on who's going to be at quarterback. I think if they go with Javion Posey again, I think that might be the best option, either Posey or Nick Tronti. Aston, what do you think about the quarterback situation for FAU football? Personally, when when I was able to watch FAU football last year, I each play like Tronti had his moments where I was I was impressed, but um, I'm who who was the other quarterback? I'm sorry, Javion Posey. Posey. Yeah, so. I was more impressed with Posey because to me, he presented, he has more athleticism. He seems to be more of a threat overall with the ball, not only throwing, but I mean, to me, he seems more of a run threat as well. Um, but I, I would personally go, I'd like to see Posey start over Tronti, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they include Tronti in certain packages, um, especially when it comes to play action. He seems to have a lot of good control over that type of situation, but Again, I, I think Posey is more of an overall, like, a better player when it comes to the quarterback position. But, again, we we got to see what happens in the spring. We got to see what happens once the games actually come in. So I'm interested to see what happens. Richard, if you had to place a bet on who would be the starting quarterback for FAU football week one at Florida, who do you think it's going to be? Who would you place your money on? 
I've been leaning towards Posey. As Eston said, Posey is more mobile. He has a better throwing arm than Tronti. He can run the ball. He can take it on his own. It's pretty clear that his first season for FAU had its ups and downs. It was pretty clear. He peaked during at the game with FIU against FIU and then had his lows, especially against uh, Georgia, Georgia Southern. So if Posey is going to make that, make that next step as the quarterback for FAU, that's the improvements here we'll have to work on. Throw the ball more accurately. Run where he needs to be at. And overall, just be as consistent as you possibly can as the quarterback. You know, it's something kind of to consider when FAU fans look at how J.V. on Posey played last season. That year before that, he was playing a wide receiver. Lane Kiffin moved into receiver at the end of the game, at the end of the uh, season a couple of years ago. I think he got a touchdown pass against SMU. So we take this first season due to COVID-19, not having a lot of time to practice. I mean, FAU was absolutely wrecked by COVID during last season. And you kind of say, okay, we got this feeling out process out of the way. I would also bank on Javion Posey being the starting quarterback when the Owls go to Ben Hill Griffin in the fall. But I do think there's got to be a, be a lot better play calling from the offense. A lot of times it felt kind of basic, felt kind of bland, but at the same time, you have players running open. TJ Chase should have had a lot better season than he actually had because he was wide open on most plays. And it comes to the point where you're going to need a quarterback who can get you the ball in those spots. So Javion Posey's definitely have to work on accuracy under pressure. Knowing when to run and knowing when not to run is definitely going to be a big step for him. But I wouldn't count out Tronti just yet. They might lean towards the experience, especially going into the Gator Stadium, where it's bound to be packed and it's bound to be another rough and tumble game, of course, because it's the University of Florida. Mm -hmm. But I would say Posey is going to be a starting quarterback. But this offense is going to have a lot of question marks going into next season. From play calling, who's going to be a quarterback? B.J. Emmons is leaving the program to enter the NFL draft. So then you have to worry about the health of Malcolm Davidson and Larry McCammon, who are both injured this year. But I think they're going to bring in enough talent to kind of reload at those skill positions, at receiver. You know, LeJounte Wester had a great freshman year. T.J. Chase, another guy who I keep saying his name, but – He's a standout wide receiver who should get the ball more. Michael Irvin II definitely needs to get the ball more at tight end. But this offense has a lot of question marks, and it starts at the quarterback position. So that's, re that's really going to be it for our first section of FAU sports. You know, uh, went pretty quick. We went pretty, pretty straight through it. I think I forgot to make a one mention about the, how men's soccer will perform and about women's soccer. I forgot about that. So for men's soccer, uh, last in 2019, they made program history by making their first ever Conference USA tournament. Unfortunately, they would lose to Kentucky 2-0. This season, there will be no Conference USA tournament for the men's. Instead, if they're going to qualify for the NCAA tournament, they have to top the conference which is going to be a very difficult feat for men's soccer to do. 
Well, I don't see them making the qualifying for this NCAA tournament. I do expect them to at least finish with a record over 500, which is something they haven't done since uh, 2013. So if they can do just that, then I consider this year a good improvement for the team overall. For women's soccer, I have a lot of expectations for them. They, in 2019, they were basically very good. They were, they had 15 wins, four losses and two ties, including eight wins out of 10 games against Conference USA opponents. And they reached the final of the Conference USA tournament. They would only lose to North Texas 5-2. And for the women, for the for women's soccer, they do have their Conference USA tournament. So as long as they remain a top team in the standings, they should have no problem returning to the final and possibly qualifying for the NCAA tournament. So my expectations are high on them. I only see them losing one of their 11 games they have for this season. So high hopes for the women's soccer team. And, you know, I still think we're kind of keeping the hopes high for the men's team. You know, they did, they did have a pretty good season last year. I think they can still maintain that success based on who they keep a goalkeeper, who they place a goalkeeper. But there's definitely a lot of expectations placed on the women's seat, on the women's team this year. Saying they might only lose one game out of 11, that's some, that's some lofty expectations, you know. But I, if there's anyone who I think can make that, I think it's the women's soccer team. They are absolutely phenomenal. But that will do it for our FAU section of the U Press Play Sports podcast. Um, I mean, I got time. We can talk about national sports, too. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, let's do it. We got a Super Bowl coming up, boys. On Su- Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Super Bowl Sunday yet. It's coming up. But we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Kansas City Chiefs. So what I want to get from you guys is who do you think is going to be an X factor in this game and who do you think is going to win this game? For, I'll start off with Eston. Um, sh- should I list like an X factor for both teams or like the ma- who I think is going to be the defining player of the game? Even more, I think I think defining factor for both teams will work. I think for so for the Buccaneers outside of Tom Brady, I'm I'm looking to see how Mike Evans performs in this game. Um, I want to see how Kansas City will you know scheme him up because not only does Tampa Bay have the Mike Evans threat, but they have so many players offensively that you know Brady can target. But I I still think that Mike Evans is the best, not only the best player offensively, but the best player on that team in general. I think he's arguably a top three receiver in the NFL. Um, And if Kansas City can isolate him and force guys like Chris Godwin, Tyler Tyler Johnson, or um, Scotty Miller to make big plays, or or Gronk or A.B., like – I think Mike Evans is going to step up and be a huge factor for the Bucs. And then for the Chiefs, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, wherever you go, you have an absurd amount of speed, talent, and it goes on offense and defense. I mean, going into the season, I thought their defense would drop off a bit, and there were a few moments where they looked kind of shaky. But, of course, come playoff time, they're ready to go. And apparently, even if Mahomes gets hurt, Chad Henney can step up and play really well, which – me being a longtime Dolphins fan, I didn't even think that was possible. 
<laughs> last time I I remember I remember Chad Henny after Chad Pennington, and he he was not it a quarterback. So just really bizarre seeing him back in the league. Anyways, um, when it comes down to it, the, to me this is going to be a legacy defining game, obviously for both Mahomes and Brady. But this is to me this is one of the biggest games in NFL history because you're seeing arguably the greatest quarterback of all time come up against the person who is I'd say right now looking to be potentially his biggest threat for that for that position um if Mahomes keeps up keeps playing the way he does I don't even think he's 25 yet and he's already gone through his third conference title game and this is his second Super Bowl so I going into it I I went into the season thinking the Bucks would do it I'm gonna stick with that prediction I think the Bucks are going to win a close game. I'm feeling 31 to 27. Oh boy. So we got Aston picking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the Chiefs. It's hard for me to go against Brady. I, I think definitely see that. I think Brady, he's gonna he's gonna just show up again and make some godlike play. So well, if I had any guess for what noted Boston sports fan Richard Pereira is going to make his decision. I think I know what he's going to say, but we'll let Richard say what he thinks. Go ahead, Richard. So I will be focusing on my X factor towards Tampa Bay, and that X factor will be their defense. If they can defend Patrick Mahomes the way they did Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers against the Saints and and the Packers, they definitely have a chance to limit Patrick Mahomes and what he could do with the offense, the offensive weapons that he has at his at his arsenal. And this this Super Bowl match, it let's be honest, this is like one of the most ideal matchups we could have come up with. There is Patrick Mahomes, who is who is the favored, and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs who were the favored team to come out of the AFC. And then you have the NFC, where you could have had Drew Brees against Mahomes. Aaron Rodgers against Mahomes or Tom Brady against Mahomes and the latter one. And now we have the young boy in Patrick Mahomes versus the old guard in Tom Brady. It's more or less experience versus youth and athleticism. Who will win? And I feel like <laughs> I, as much, it feels I think Tom Brady, I, the thought of Tom Brady getting, possibly finishing his career, even though I, he, I hear that he wants to keep playing until he's 45, which is crazy, Good. but he could possibly get a seventh Super Bowl. I like to entertain that. I like to t- entertain that idea. So that's why, as you guessed it, JP, I think Tampa Bay escapes by a, a, a tiny margin. And my, my score for it is 38-35. The offense will go all out. So we got a high the score. The will be the X factor for both teams. The defense will be the X factor. Who can defend better? So we got a high scoring game for both of you guys. So what I think is going to be the X factor for this game is going to be the Tampa Bay defensive line against Kansas City's offensive line. In the AFC Championship game, Eric Fisher went out with a torn Achilles. He's out for the game. Mitchell Schwartz, arguably the best right tackle in the game, other than Tristan Wirfs, who plays for Tampa. He's out for this game. 
both their starting guards out for this game. There's only one player on the Chiefs starting offensive line right now that was starting at the beginning of the season. If Tampa is going to make this a game, they're going to have to get pressure. Todd Bowles loves to blitz, loves to bring pressure against Green Bay and against Drew Brees in New Orleans. He played a lot of man coverage. You can't do that against Kansas City. But you can't play zone against Kansas City because Mahomes just pick you apart. But if you play man, you're going to allow that track team they have at wide receiver and tight end to go off on you. In the game they played against Tampa Bay earlier this year, Tyreek Hill had 200 yards in the first quarter. I don't think he's going to replicate that 200-yard first quarter again. But still, it's hard picking against the most overwhelming offense I've ever seen in my whole life watching football. I mean, we talk about how, you know, the Chiefs kind of looked a little sluggish this season. They might not look like they still have it. They went 14-2, and two, and they slept walk through most of those games. I mean, the <laughs> one game where they were seriously challenged was maybe against Atlanta, and they won that game. Mahomes went down with an injury, a concussion against Cleveland, and they won that game. It's so hard to choose against an offense that can at will score 38. And against Buffalo in the AFC title game, they casually scored 38 points. Like it was at one point nine zero, and we had people blowing up our group chat. Uh, I'm going to keep his name out of it, but saying the Bills are going to the Super Bowl up 9-0 on the Chiefs. You know what they proceeded to do? Score 38 unanswered points because that's what they do. So if I'm going to make my choice, I'm going with Kansas City. If Kansas City gets at least a one touchdown lead, I don't think Tampa Bay can score as much as them. So I'm going to go Kansas City 42 and Tampa Bay 28. Their offense is just way too good. You know, you can't, there's no logical way to stop that offense. There's no logical way to stop Patrick Mahomes other than he's injured. You can hope he has a bad game like he did against Miami. He threw like three or four interceptions and they still won the game. Like it's so comically amazing how good this offense is. Like we talk a lot about Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey is a top three receiver in the NFL based on yards and he's a tight end. You got Tyreek Hill. You got Clyde Edwards-Alaire who may or may not play in this game. If he doesn't play, oh, we'll just bring Le'Veon Bell off the bench. It's so – it's just – I laugh every time I watch them play because there's no logical way to stop them other than prayer. Is Sammy Watkins healthy? Is he going to play in this game yet? I don't think Sammy Watkins is going to play, but I don't think it matters because <laughs> they, to. they can pull – if you run track, if you run at least a 4 4 the Chiefs can pull you in and you'll and you'll catch a touchdown because every one of those guys on that team is fast and they have a quarterback and we throw the ball out of the stadium. He doesn't even have to look and he'll, he just knows that someone is down the field and they're going to catch it. It's so crazy because like I said, there's no way to game plan against what they do because they have so many creative play calls. Eric Bieniemy, Andy Reid, they, they do such a great job of maximizing the players and their talents that they have so Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill work so well with each other. But like I said, the only way for Tampa to win this game is if they can get pressure. 
if they can get pressure on Mahomes, make his life a little bit more difficult without having the blitz, then maybe they have a shot. But if Tampa, if Tampa goes down by a touchdown, I don't think they're going to come back because that offense, it's the greatest offense I've ever seen captained by the greatest quarterback in terms of talent and how he plays the greatest quarterback we have ever seen play professional football. And this is only year three. So I'm going with Kansas city. Eston and Richard are going with Tampa Bay. We're bound to see what happens on Sunday. You know, I'll be, we'll be talking about it, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a wild one in Tampa. You know, how, how lucky is that? He yeah. just, the it's first Super Bowl easy. he gets in Tampa is in Tampa. With Tom Brady. <laughs> it's peak Brady. It's peak Brady. Of course he gets that one. But, you know, one thing that sticks out to me about Tampa is their offensive line is really good. Like, all of those guys are elite pass protectors. Tristan Wirfs, as a rookie, is one of the best right tackles in the game. Ryan Jensen, their center, one of the best centers in the game. Ali Marpet doesn't get enough attention. He is one of the best left guards in the game. Donovan Smith played a lot better this year. But it's going to be a test going against Steve Spagnuolo's defense. He draws up a lot of creative blitzes, a lot of creative play calls. Chris Jones, the defense attack for the Chiefs, is going to be a game breaker in the middle of that defense. You're going to have to watch out for Tyron Matthew. But if they can create pressure on Brady – I think they can get a solid defensive performance because despite winning against Green Bay, Tom Brady still threw three interceptions. It wasn't like Brady will through his had his masterful performance that we're so accustomed to him being. He played like a 43-year-old man. And if he plays like a 43-year-old man against the Chiefs, they're going to get run out the building. <laughs> but that's it for our NFL little blurb discussion about the Super Bowl. Uh, moving on to the NBA. And you know what? This NBA season is so weird because they announced that all-star voting was starting this week. And I'm just like, all-star voting? Bro, the season just started. <laughs> but it's been such a crazy season with the pandemic affecting so many basketball teams. You know, you had Miami. Washington was affected by it. You had the saga of James Harden and him going from Houston to Brooklyn, which we're definitely going to talk about Brooklyn later on. But who's been a team that's, A, a team that's surprised you and a team that's disappointed you so far this season? Either one of you guys. Uh, I'm going to start off by saying um, I don't think Realistically, this should it be much of a surprise, but biggest letdown. I really thought I, I somehow thought the Wizards would improve a little bit, a little bit. But <sighs> no, they still drop like forty-eight points, and they're still gonna find a way to lose the game. So, if I, I've never person, I've never met someone that is a Washington Wizards fan. But for those people out there that are Washington Wizards fans, I, I, I am, I don't know how they do it because 
you 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 finally get a someone who you know is going to be healthy in Russ, but also someone who's just going to throw the ball up for fun. And it was I, I was really looking forward to see him play with Bradley Beal. Still fun to watch, but um, they still find ways to lose. Well, they're real fun to watch a couple nights ago because they just beat Brooklyn one forty nine to one forty six in regulation, and. With two consecutive three-pointers from Bradley Beal and Westbrook. I'm laughing the whole time. Two consecutive three-pointers. One from Brad Beal and one from Russell Westbrook, who now is going to shoot the three-pointer 20 times a game because he made that shot. But (laughs) Brooklyn, look, it's it's by no coincidence that if the season ended today, Brooklyn would be the best offensive team in NBA history. They would also be the worst defensive team in NBA history. It is no secret that this team is bad on defense. When you trade away one of your best defenders, perimeter defenders in Karis LeVert, you trade away an interior defender in Jared Allen, and you bring in a net negative on defense, which is James Harden, you're bound to be bad on defense, but not worse in league history bad. This is absurd. Again, if you allow 150 points to Washington in four quarters, like, come on. Like, you, you, you're not even staying in front of anybody. Russ had 41. Beal had 32. And it was so crazy because the Nets played just how you expect them to play on offense. Joe Harris had 30 points. And they <laughs> lost because they allowed 150 points to Washington. Like, you know how bad on defense you have to be? So until they, until they like, play defense as a team, which, you know, kind of to add a caveat, I guess, they haven't really played a lot together with this new team. They haven't really played a lot together. And defense is as much about communication as it is, like, just standing in front of somebody. But this team needs to play defense in order to be, like, seriously, like, considered as a threat to the title because – if you allow 149 to Washington, imagine what, not even thinking about the Western Conference, imagine what Boston's going to do to them. Imagine what Milwaukee is going to do to that team. Giannis against that defense? Oh, dear God. But if I had to go with a team that was disappointing this year, and then I'll get to Richard's disappointing team, then we'll all do surprises. A disappointing team to me has been Dallas. I thought Dallas would be a whole lot better this year especially with Porzingis coming back, Luka Doncic being Luka Doncic. But that duo has not paired well. You know, they haven't, they haven't meshed. And I don't know what happened. It might have been his Porzingis' injury, but they don't mesh very well. Luka Doncic is still playing at an all-star level. But again, with the Batman and Robin comparison, he needs a Robin. And Porzingis is not Robin. He's more of Alfred. Or like, I know that, gosh, he's not Alfred. If he's not Alfred, he's Commissioner Gordon. Because like every time something real bad happens, just throw up the bat signal and he's out there. Anytime they go down bad in Dallas, just throw up the Luka Doncic and you're like, okay, I'll just bring you back because I'm that good. But Dallas has been real disappointing to me. Richard, who's been your most disappointing team? It would have to be uh, Washington. <laughs> Eston, I completely agree with Eston. Like, 
I thought they were going to do better. I thought they would compete for a bottom playoff spot, like be in the top 10 at the very least. But no, they just, they're at the bottom of the conference, despite having Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, Davis Bertans, and other players that helped them out. And they're just very bad. And Westbrook is just shooting inefficiently, like shooting bricks, like for most of the game until he makes a remarkable three-pointer like he did against Brooklyn. <laughs> That's my thing. I'm not as disappointed in the Wizards because I don't know what you expected from the Wizards. You know, I didn't, I expected them to be bad because you know, the listed Bertons, Beal, and Russell Westbrook. But then who you got after that? They're not even competent, though. Like, you would have expected them more than four games. Only four games they won. And I think two of them are coming against Brooklyn. <laughs> but going into our most surprising teams, um, I'll start with Richard this time. Who's been your most surprising team this year? I got to give credit where credit is due. The Knicks, they've surprised me. They're actually in the playoff picture. They, Emmanuel quickly, Julius Randle, RJ Barrett. Julius <laughs> Randle playing it. My expectations. I thought they would be like around the lottery, not not at the bottom, but at the lottery. But they've been competing. Like they're much more better than they were in the past few years since I kept an eye on the Knicks while they were in the bottom of of the of the standings. Now they are much better than they've ever been. And that's, you got to give credit to Tom Thibodeau. He's done a good job in the first 21 games for the Knicks so far this season. You know, the Knicks have been one of those teams where I thought they were going to be bad. I thought they were going to be terrible. But like you said, they've been real surprising. And if you if you're ever feeling bad and think you can't come up, Julius Randle is having an all-star year. Like, he's averaging 23-8. and eight on the Knicks. And I didn't think Julius Randle would average 23 and eight ever. Emmanuel quickly playing out of his mind. They're getting high school mixtape Austin Rivers, which (laughs) I reference Austin Rivers has one of the best high school mixtapes I've ever seen in my life. But the Knicks just play hard, man. And Tom Thibodeau has coached them up so well to the point where they're playing tough every single game. It doesn't matter if they're down 10 or down 40 or vice versa being up 10 up 40 they're going to play hard every single game if there's a team for me that surprised me like i was saying like wow i didn't think they'd be as good as they were it's been golden state i did not think that they would be even contending for the playoffs and you know i know they have steph curry but outside steph curry you really don't have much in the scoring department but there is James Wiseman has been everything they, they've gotten and more. They've gotten Draymond Green back, who has helped a lot with their defense and communication. That offense for the Warriors relies a lot of communication, a lot of movement. And Draymond Green is essentially the point guard for them. He's making all the passes, getting people open shots. He's been the one. He's moving the offense. He's the one driving the car. And they've gotten a lot from Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins, which – I mean, I don't know if I'd ever thought I'd say that about Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. They provide a lot of defense. (laughs) They provide a lot of shooting. And they've given 
some offense in spurts when Steph is on the bench or Wiseman is having one of those rookie games. So the Warriors have been really surprising to me so far. Essen, who's been a surprising team for you? Um, it, it's, it's tough to choose, honestly, but I'm tied between both the Cavs and the Hornets, more the Hornets, honestly, in, in my opinion, just because like, okay, I think coming from an honorable mention to the Jazz, they are second in the conference over the Lakers so far. Like, they've done good. They've done great. But, you know, going back to, like, Charlotte, Eston. I mean, Gordon Charlotte, Hayward, Bismarck, Biombo. Okay, like, Gordon Hayward decided to really show up and decide uh, I'm not being overpaid for my contract, despite everyone thinking otherwise at first. And... Lamelo Ball is already the best ball oh, yeah. brother. Yeah, I mean, Lamelo did good against Milwaukee somehow. Which, okay, isn't saying too much because Lonzo's kind of mid, but um, I, I think that the Hornets are for the first time in the Michael Jordan era. <laughs> they're finally building something that's um, promising, mm. and. You, you would have thought this would have come earlier under the Jordan eye, but um, apparently his eye for shoes are better than his eyes on the court when it comes to evaluating talent. So <laughs> I'm, I really want to see Charlotte make it to the playoffs and see how far they can go this first year. I, I'm excited to see what happens. And I think if Charlotte actually does like really well, they might be able to pick up some guys in free agency, not only by the young talent that they have, especially with LaMelo now and Gordon Hayward, but I think Jordan might actually start to uh, care a little more by that. I mean, like he could help in free agency and say, um, listen, we're building a great team and you're working for me. You're working for the greatest like athlete in history. So um, why wouldn't you want to play in Charlotte? So they have a lot of potential, but also it's Charlotte. It, 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 like the owner is also Michael Jordan. I have a theory on Michael Jordan that he only drafts and signs players that he knows he can beat in one on one at this stage in his career. So that's why Charlotte has been so bad. But now they're actually kind of good now. So I guess Michael Jordan has to step up his game a little bit. Do you think that for their draft workouts, instead of doing like training drills or like three on threes, it's just a one on one Jordan? Absolutely. I bet that's the first thing LaMelo Ball did when he got to Charlotte. You know what? What they did was they had, like, LaMelo, I'm glad you're here. You can go ahead and lead the gym. LaVar, get on over here. You said you beat me one-on-one. Let's do it right now. If I win, I'm drafting your son. If not, he can pack and kick rocks. And that's how LaMelo Ball was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets. (laughs) Well, one one point, um, I almost forgot to bring this up, JP, when you were talking about the Warriors. Any thoughts on the uh, Draymond Green and um, who is the who's the tough guy from the That's been one of the best moments in the NBA I've seen all year. I am here for it. Hey, man, it was mad disrespectful to call out Rodney Gruder on television like Clay Thompson did. And then in the post game for Draymond, what Draymond Green did. But it was funny, dog. He was like, ain't nobody afraid of no Rodney Magruder. And the way he said Rodney, like he was offended that anybody would step to him named Rodney. If I was named Rodney, I wouldn't leave my house. Not because of COVID, but because my name is Rodney. 
Like, I'm never, I'm never getting over that. I can never recover. You're just some average dude named Rodney. Rodney isn't, Magruder's in the NBA and getting clowned because his name is Rodney. And you know, I didn't even know Rodney Magruder still played in the league. I thought, I, I thought he was done. I, I thought he was he's done. He's with Detroit. He's with Detroit. He's now. with Detroit now. But man, it's disrespectful to call him out like that, especially saying Clay saying he'll be out of the league soon. That was mad disrespectful. Because <laughs> he probably got a family to feed. He, he can't be doing getting disrespected on live television. But he, saying you ain't afraid of nobody named Rodney is the funniest content I have ever seen from the NBA in my entire life. He was just like, nobody afraid of no Rodney. And again, it's what you expect from Draymond Green. Like, I don't know if Draymond Green can actually fight, but like, he talks like he can fight. Because he talks a lot. And if, if you talk a lot, you're going to have to back it up. And plus, Draymond Green is from Saginaw, Michigan. Saginaw, Michigan, if you've been to Michigan, yeah, you know about Saginaw, Michigan. <laughs> but it's just funny, dog. This saying, the way he said, ain't nobody afraid of no dang Rodney. Friggin' Rodney Magruder. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you just clown that entire man's family because his name is Rodney. If I, like I said, if I named Rodney, I wouldn't leave the house. I, I would stay off of Twitter because Rodney's going to be trending and here's me wondering what's going on. And he's going to try and comment or chime in and be like, hey, yo, this dude named Rodney and you will get flamed off of Twitter. We, we should give out an award for the NBA Tough Man of the Year. There's all this talk of like, you know, is Draymond the tough guy? Is it Clay? Is it uh, Magruder? Who also, by the way, I thought had Tyler Johnson syndrome and just disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, Wait, isn't Tyler Johnson still on the Nets? Is he really? I know, I, he started, he I know he started a playoff game for them last year, which really blew my mind. Yeah, I, I think I, he's still on the Nets. Yeah, I think he is. Of course. Why, why, why have anyone on the Nets that, that plays any defense anyways? But you know what? If we were doing a Tough Guy of the League award, and this would be our inaugural kind of just, if you're still watching, this is where we're kind of, we're spitballing here. And this is great content. I love it. If there were a Tough Guy in the NBA award, it has to go to James Johnson. That's the first person it goes to. You don't earn the name Bloodsport for no reason. The man has a black belt and does MMA. If, if there's any, he had Serge Ibaka scared. Dog, if there's anybody you don't want to fight, it's James Johnson. Because again, the dude's name is Bloodsport. If you don't fight anybody named Bloodsport, because he will kick your face off. Now, I don't know about you guys, but who, who do you guys think of, like, a tough guy at the NBA award? If they, gave, if they gave that out, who would you give it to? Markeith Morris. Oh, that's a good one. I, I, I'm, I immediately thought of him. And also, when you go on the Lakers website, Markeith Morris's picture isn't there. It's Kyle Kuzma instead. But um, <laughs> That so, is the biggest, like, bait and switch. That, that is the biggest disrespect because – you have Markeith Morris, who really is the type of guy I would not want to be on this bad list. And then there's Kyle Kuzma, who thinks that Chance the Rapper's 
uh, last album was good. So that tells you all you need to know. So um, I would put Markeith Morris. See, if you go Markeith Morris, you also got to put Marcus Morris. Yes. Yeah. They, they're a package group. Brothers. They're a package group. The brothers. Yeah, you got to go. They flew across the country to beat some dude up who was talking about their mama. That, <laughs> those are two guys that I do not want to mess with. Because again, you don't know if you're getting hit by Marcus or Markeith. It's like a shadow clone jutsu from Naruto. It's gonna be stomping you out, and you're not gonna know who's who. He's like, is this Marcus? This is Markeith. I'm getting beat up by some shadow clones. They got me in a genjutsu, and I'm just over here getting stomped out because I said one bad thing. I remember, um, I think either Marcus or Markeith was on the Dan Levitard show. It was a couple years back, and they were talking about this time they got into a fight with the Kansas football team. Like it was Marcus and Markeith versus the football team. You don't mess with those guys. Like it was them two against the football team. I would take them against the Kansas football team though. It's not like they can win anything. Oh, oh that was an easy one. The shots fired were easy, but you're so right. I mean, even with Les Miles, it's not like, again, he's, he's high tier mid, so they're still not going to win much of anything. I would take the Morris brothers against KU football any day. So, Richard, who do you think would win a tough guy award in the NBA? Like, who you least want to see in a fight? We got Bloodsport, James Johnson. We got Marcus and Markeith Morris because they're a package deal. Richard, who are you going with? I would pretty much uh, – I'll go with James Johnson. I I don't really focus on fights that much, but if there was a tough guy around, it would probably be Johnson. We did honorable mentions going to Draymond and the Morris Twins. See, now if we were doing historical – and if we were doing historical, who would you say would win the tough guy award? Like of NBA history. Now, for me, there's probably a name y'all probably won't recognize, but Kermit Washington. Uh, the, I, I remember. Richard knows what I'm talking about. Estin, the punch. Anybody who doesn't know who Kermit Washington is, go look up Kermit Washington, Rudy Tomjanovich. The punch. He punched this man so hard, he broke his jaw and ended his career in a basketball game. Well, not exactly. Not exactly. I'm, I'm Washington about did, to watch the video right thing, now. But he would, his career ended shorter than it did. His career ended a lot shorter. He was not the same after Kermit Washington jaw jacked him. Mm-hmm. And anybody who can do that, Esther, you know what I'm talking about. Oh! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh! Yeah. yeah. Kermit Washington is nobody to mess around with. And if not Kermit Washington, it has to be Ron Artest. Because again, <laughs> Malice in the Palace is one of the greatest events in sports history. Because that is the definition of out. You, that is the definition of effing around and finding out. Like that fan threw beer on our test, thinking it was sweet, and ended up going to jail and almost dying because Ron Artest sent him to the hospital. And you know, we're talking about Malice in the Palace. Person, Honorable mention has to go to Jermaine O'Neal. Because he was almost about to send some dude to heaven. He winded back so hard. Like he, he went straight one punch, man. Winded it back, serious punch. And just slid a little bit. And it threw off his aim. But if he would have connected, 
man, that dude, that fan would not have gone to another basketball game again. But my pick for tough guy in NBA history has got to be Kermit Washington. Eston, after seeing that video, who are you going with? I mean, I feel like if I say anyone else except him, he's going to come through the door and smack me in my face. So I, I got to go. I'm, I'm going with um, Kermit Washington. By the way, I think that's a great name for a basketball. Kermit. Kermit. You don't mess with no, see, again, you don't mess with nobody named Kermit because they've been made fun of for their name being Kermit. They've had to know how to fight. That's why you don't mess with anybody named Kermit or short people because short people know how to fight. They ain't getting made up, made fun of for being short their whole life. They ain't got nothing to lose. That's that's how you know in a fight, you gotta have the want to. You gotta wanna fight. It, not, it doesn't matter much about being bigger or stronger. If you wanna fight, you're going to win that fight. But um, <laughs> Richard, who you who would win the tough guy award for you? I don't want anybody to punch me the way Kermit Washington did. Ruby <laughs> I'd have to go with Kermit Washington as the, the guy I would not want to mess with. Uh, if Kermit Washington hit me as hard as he hit Tom Janovich, I would be looking like Dr. Strange when the um, ancient one hit him out of his body. And Dr. Strange, I'd just be floating around. I'd be like, oh, well, I'm dead. So I guess I'll see you guys later. But, you know, we got... Kermit Washington, got Ron Artest, another name, Charles Oakley, because Charles Oakley had everybody scared in the 80s and 90s basketball. Like, he he had people scared when they were punching people and they weren't even called a foul. That's how you know dude is a tough guy. <laughs> but I think we all agree that Kermit Washington is the Hall of Fame first place winner for tough guy NBA. I think currently we're going with James Johnson and the Morris twins. But I think, that'll, I think that'll do it for our first whirlwind episode of You Press Play Sports. We talked a little bit about FAU sports, talked some FAU basketball, talked some soccer, talked some football. We talked some Super Bowl. We talked about who win the fight and people named Kermit wanting to fight. But you can find us on YouTube. This show will be up on YouTube. We'll be up on Anchor. We'll be up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where you get your podcasts. Make sure to like, make sure to follow, subscribe, give us five stars, because if not, it'll hurt our feelings and you don't want to hurt a poor college student's feelings. See, look at that face. You don't want to hurt feelings. But that'll be it for our first episode. Thank you, and we'll hope to see you next week when we're sure to talk about some more shenanigans.